Okay, this one is going to be different and it's going to be a doozy. And this is what my channel is originally about news, politics, and other topics. So for those who have just discovered my channel because of the Ripperverse, I ask you to bear with me and let's talk about this. So there's a lot of debate and discussion about the Second Amendment. I got into a good discussion with a friend of mine on Facebook about the Second Amendment and, and different things going on with it. There's a lot of misunderstandings about the Constitution in general, namely the Second Amendment. And I would say this. I would say it would be a good practice for every U.S. citizen to at least once a month briefly go through the U.S. Constitution. Believe it or not, it is not as hard to understand as most people have been taught to believe. It is actually a fairly, I'm not going to say easy, but I'm going to say maybe you might have to go over something once or twice. Maybe you might have to look up some words or, or understand how something is stated legally. But I'm telling you, it's really not that complicated. And when you read through it, you will realize I'll tell you what will happen. What will eventually happen if you read through this, you will begin to say, yo, why have we been lied to about these different things within the U.S. Constitution? It would really surprise you. So I, I want to read this article about the Second Amendment because I don't think people really understand the framework of the Second Amendment. What was going on when it was pinned? See, that matters. That context matters. And this is something that people must understand. Now, I've already done a video on this before, but I really do feel the need to do this again. And here is the reason why. Why does this Second Amendment thing matter so much? I keep saying this in all of the discussions I have about the Second Amendment. This is my question to people. What amendment in the Bill of Rights are you willing to concede? And normally people are like none. But for some reason, people are eager to concede on the Second Amendment. And what they don't realize is in many ways, the Second Amendment are what is what keeps the rest of our Bill of Rights secured. Even the founders knew this. And this was the whole reason for its pinning, even though many people don't want to understand this basic truth of American history. So I want to get to this article. Now, I'm not saying that everything in this article, you know, I agree with 100% all the way up and down, but I think it is a good article. Actually, that's the article I want to get to. And then later on, we're going to go to the U.S. Constitution and kind of read the Second Amendment and just look at the text itself, because I think what happens is a lot of people talk about the Second Amendment without actually looking through the text itself. So this article is on constitutioncenter.org. And I believe it's uh, these two gentlemen are the authors, uh, Bill Nelson Lund and Adam Winkler. Bill Nelson Lund, university professor at George Mason University, um, uh, Antonin Scalia School of Law. And Adam Winkler, professor of law at University of California, 
Los Angeles Law School. Okay, let's get right down into this. Modern debates about the Second Amendment have focused on whether it protects a private right of individuals to keep and bear arms or, or, or a right that can be exercised only through militia organizations like the National Guard. This question, however, has not even uh, was not even raised until long after the Bill of Rights was adopted. I think there is a very clear reason for this. I think we have been bamboozled in many regards into thinking that the Second Amendment carries a definition that it doesn't carry. And even reading the text itself, you don't even have to do a whole bunch of research to read the text and realize you've been lied to. I'm telling you, you have been lied to. Many in the founding generation Now, I want you to listen to what's being said. This is U.S. history. This is not hearsay. This is not opinion. This is U.S. history. You can go do your own research and you'll come to these same conclusions. Read anything from Thomas Paine. Thomas Paine was probably one of the most influential thinkers amongst the founders. If you read Thomas Paine's work, you will come away with probably wildly different conclusions than you hear in the mainstream today. Okay. Many in the founding generation believed that governments are prone to use soldiers to oppress the people. This is what the founders believe. Remember what they came out of English oppression, English history suggested that the risk could be controlled by permitting the government to raise armies consisting of full-time paid troops only when needed to fight foreign adversaries for other purposes, such as responding to sudden invasions or other emergencies. The government could rely on a militia that consisted of ordinary civilians who supplied their own weapons and received some part-time unpaid military training. <clears throat> the onset of war does not always allow time to raise and train an army. And the revolutionary war showed that militia forces could not be relied on for a national defense. The constitutional convention therefore decided that the federal government should have almost unfettered authority to establish peacetime standing armies and to regulate the militia. Now, all of this language and all of the things that said matters, and especially when you go to read the actual text of the Second Amendment, I ask you to do yourself this favor. When people make comments about the Second Amendment, go read it right after their comment. This is what you'll find. Most people say things that's not even consistent with the text of the Second Amendment itself. But if you just listen to them and you don't do any further research, any further digging, the arguments can almost sound legit, but many times they're not. I'm telling you. All right. This massive shift of power from the states to the federal government generated one of the chief objections to the proposed constitution. Okay. So it's going to mention something here now until some years ago, I didn't even know about this. We all know about the federalists, 
Do you know that the Federalists were responding to the Anti-Federalists? And you can thank the Anti-Federalists for the Bill of Rights. But you never really hear anything about the Anti-Federalists, which I find interesting. Anti-Federalists argued that the proposed Constitution would take from the states their principal means of defense against the federal usurpation. Do you see that? The whole argument was they were worried about government tyranny, even though there are many people that like to make the arguments that this was not a concern. I'm telling you, this was a concern and this was a deciding factor in the ratification of uh, the Second Amendment, the Bill of Rights uh, uh, in general and specifically the Second Amendment. The Federalists responded that fears of federal oppression were overblown in part because the American people were armed and would be almost impossible to subdue through military force. I want you to listen to that. This is what the founders thought for pe for people, even those within within our own government that don't understand whether they like it or not, whether they're comfortable with this or not. This was the original intent of the Second Amendment. So I'm going to read that one more time just so you can get this down in your head. The Federalists responded that the fears of federal oppression were overblown in part because the American people were armed and would be almost impossible to subdue through military force. Implicit in the debate between Federalists and Anti-Federalists were two shared assumptions. First, that the proposed new constitution gave the federal government almost total legal authority over the army and militia. Second, that the federal government should not have any authority at all to disarm the citizenry. They disagreed only about whether an armed populace could adequately deter federal oppression. Well, it's clear by the U.S. Revolution that they could. And again, this is the context and this is what the founders knew and understood. <clears throat> the Second Amendment conceded nothing to the anti-federalists desire to sharply curtail the military power of the federal government, which would have required substantial changes in the original Constitution. Yet the amendment was easily accepted because of the widespread agreement that the federal government should not have the power to infringe the right of the people to keep and bear arms any more than it should have power to abridge the freedom of speech prohibited the free exercise uh, speech or prohibit the free exercise of religion. This is what I always ask people when I get into Second Amendment arguments, and it's not to be sly and it's not to be condescending. It's to it's to get you to understand the scope of what you're saying. I always ask people this. Are you in favor of speech being regulated? I once asked a friend this. I said, would you be in favor of a license to speak freely? To which he responded, no, we have the First Amendment. I said, ah, exactly. Now, why is the second so different? And I'll tell you why. It's because emotional arguments are made when it comes to the Second Amendment. 
What I do with anything within the U.S. Constitution is I try my best to remove emotion. Look, there are things that I wish would go a certain way. But when I read the U.S. Constitution, I'm like, yo, this is the way it has to go because this is the legality of the U.S. Constitution, whether I like it or not. And if we don't like it, we need to have a convention of states and we need to have it amended. Now, I am very reticent to even accept that notion because amending the Constitution should be something that we avoid, in my personal opinion, at all costs, because that's a dangerous road. Much has changed since 1791. The traditional militia fell into desuetude, uh, uh, and state-based militia organizations were eventually incorporated into the federal military structure. Now, for me, this is where, as Americans, maybe we fell asleep at the wheel and didn't under understand the implications behind some of the things we allowed. The nation's military established uh, the nation's hold on. Let me get back to uh, no, 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 state based militia. I lost my place. Forgive me. Uh, yeah, the nation's military establishment has become enormously more powerful than the 18th century armies. We still hear political rhetoric about federal tyranny, but. Most Americans do not fear the nation's armed armed forces and virtually no one thinks that an armed populace could defeat those forces in battle. Furthermore, 18th century civilians rule. Uh, see, let me get back to my place. Where's that at? Uh, OK, there I go. My screen kind of jumped. Excuse me. Okay, so 18th century civilians routinely kept at home the very same weapons they would need if called to serve in the militia. While modern soldiers are equipped with weapons that differ significantly from those generally thought uh, appropriate for civilian use, civilians no longer expect to use their household weapons for military duty although they still keep and bear arms to defend against common criminals as well as for hunting and other forms of recreation now i will say this this is actually a travesty and this was the beginning of the encroachment on the second amendment now again this is not an emotional argument because when people think about guns, the first thing they think about is children being killed. And that is a tragedy, a tragedy. What I always try to convey to people is evil people are going to do evil things. And there is no law you can write or craft that will stop that. If an evil person is determined to do something, they will do it. Now, you can make the argument that that firearms makes this evil easier for them to access and and i won't necessarily argue with you over that but do we regulate law-abiding citizens because of what people who violate the law do so what i'm saying is if somebody violates the law do we then turn to the law-abiding citizen and say yeah because this guy did something now you're not going to be allowed to do x y or z what I'm what I'm saying is I'm trying to make a logical argument that that's what we're doing and it doesn't make sense. <clears throat> 
The law has also changed. While states in the founding era regulated guns, blacks were often prohibited uh, prohibited from possessing firearms and militia weapons uh, were frequently registered on government rolls. Gun laws today are more extensive and controversial. Now, I want you to understand this comment because you might read that and you might think, see, so we should have registration and there's certain things we shouldn't have. Now, I want you to understand that at this point in the country, these states were actually not respecting the Second Amendment, right? So this is not, again, I always say this is not an emotional argument. It is, I'm, I'm merely looking at the legality of the Bill of Rights. Another important legal development. Uh, let me see. Sometimes my screen messes up when I'm scrolling and I have my uh, recording software open. All right. Uh, while states founding, blah, blah, blah. Another important legal development was the adoption of the 14th Amendment. Now, this is key. And I'll read the 14th Amendment when I get done with this article. Forgive me. This video is going to be long. I realize that some of you who have come to my channel again from my Ripperverse coverage may not like this. I apologize, but I think this is something that definitely needs to be covered. Okay, the Second Amendment originally applied only to the federal government leaving the states to regulate weapons as they saw fit, although there is substantial evidence that privileges or immunities clause of the 14th Amendment was meant to protect the right of individuals to keep and bear arms from uh, from being infringed by the state. The Supreme Court rejected this interpretation in United States versus Kirk, uh, Kirkshank, 1876. Now, I will say, in my opinion, now this is where people get get a little muddied in in conversation. People assume that if you're not a lawyer, you can't disagree with a ruling. You can read, right? Don't get so caught up in the fact that legalese is used. Don't, don't get so caught up in that and don't lose the fact that you can read and comprehend. So I, I want to I want to break right now from this. I'm going to come back to the article, but I want to break from this and and go to the text of the 14th Amendment. So we can see what it actually says and see why this matters and why I say the Supreme Court, in my opinion, was wrong here. This is the 14th Amendment. <clears throat> so it says, let me see. That's yeah, that's uh, one. 12, 13, yeah, I just want to make sure I was in the right place. OK, all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction, the equal protections under the law. What matters in this, in this text, and this is why I say you do not have to be a lawyer to understand this stuff. Read your constitution. It says no state shall make or enforce any law, which shall abridge the privileges or immunities 
of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty or property without due process of law. What does that mean? That means a state can't make an arbitrary law that violates your constitutional right. If you were born in the United States, you are protected under the U.S. Constitution and a state does not have the legal right to violate your constitutional rights. And this is why I say in that ruling in 1876, I disagree with what was said. Now, if I had to guess, because I haven't done extensive research into that ruling, I'll fully admit if I had to guess a lot of this was built around slavery and the fact that people at the time did not want black people to have guns. And they realized this was problematic. If black people are citizens of the United States, then they're protected under the U.S. Constitution. They didn't want this. Right. And this is why I agree there's a gentleman named Maj Touré who has an organization called Black Guns Matter. Now, I happen to agree with Maj Touré. He says that all gun laws are racist. I happen to agree with that because this is the premise. I'm not going to say of all, but most gun laws were established and the premise was actually built upon regulating black people's ability to own weapons. I'm not trying to make this a racial issue like I'm not trying to virtue signal. I'm just saying it is what it is. This is the history. OK, back to the article. Until recently, the judiciary treated the Second Amendment almost as a dead letter. Let that sink in. It said until recently, the judiciary treated the Second Amendment almost as a dead letter. Is anybody cool with that? What if the First Amendment was treated as a dead letter? What if the Fourth Amendment was treated as a dead letter? What about the Fifth Amendment? You see, we can get on a real big slippery slope. Okay, in District of Columbia versus Heller 2008, however, uh, the Supreme Court invalidated a federal law that forbade nearly all civilians from possessing handguns in the nation's capital, a five to four majority rule that the language and history of the Second Amendment showed that it protects a private right of individuals to have arms for their own defense, not a right of the state to maintain a militia. The dissenters disagreed. They concluded that the Second Amendment protects a nominally uh, a nominally individual right, though one that protects only the right of the people of each of the several states to maintain a well-regulated militia. They also argued that even if the Second Amendment did protect an individual right to have arms for self-defense, it should be interpreted to allow the government to ban handguns in high crime urban areas. Now, listen to what they said. And, and this is where I disagree with many Supreme Court justices because if you're not paying attention, you would think, well, they're lawyers, right? And they're judges, so they have to be right. No, just because you're a judge or a lawyer does not mean you're right. You can read, read the Second Amendment and you tell me if you see anything in the Second Amendment that gives the government a right to ban a gun in high crime areas. This doesn't even make sense. This is not even a legal argument. This is an opinion argument, not a legal argument. And that was my problem with that. Thankfully, 
if you've been paying attention, there was a Supreme Court ruling about two months ago. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it was Bruin versus New York City Pistol and Rifle Association, which was a very good ruling by the Supreme Court. Not going to get into that. Look into it. But but that that ruling actually would change some of the uh, writing of this article. If it was written today, there would be a little more context. That's the only reason I bring that up. Two years later, in McDonald versus the city of Chicago, 2010, the court struck down a similar handgun ban at the state level, again, by a five to four vote. <coughs> Excuse me. Four justices relied on judicial precedent under the 14th Amendment's due process clause. Justice Thomas rejected those precedents in favor of reliance on the privileges or immunities clause, but all five members of the majority concluded that the 14th amendment protects against state infringement of the same individual right that is protected from federal infringement by the second amendment. So in my opinion, this was a correction of that 18. What was it? Let me go back. Was it the 1876 ruling? was it was yeah so that was a correction of that 1876 ruling and i'm here to tell you i don't know what you think about the supreme court if you keep up with the supreme court if you don't i will tell you this clarence thomas is a legal genius not because he knows something that everyone else doesn't know it's because he's actually reading the text of the u.s constitution and judging thusly He's not going on opinion It's not. Well, I think what should we should be able to do? No, he's going to the Constitution and saying, what is the history of this of this text? Why did the framers write this? That matters. Now let's read the actual text and judge on that, not on our opinions of, well, you know what I think that's irrelevant. OK, notwithstanding the lengthy opinions in Heller and McDonald. They technically ruled only that the government may not uh, ban the possession of handguns by civilians in their own homes. Like I said, uh, uh, Bruin versus New York City Pistol and Rifle Association changes this whole thing. Um, and the Supreme Court rightly so recognized the right of people to keep and bear arms. Right. Like it's crazy. It's not like they ruled something new. They just said, hey. The Constitution says a thing. That thing is the law. What a concept. Heller tentatively suggested a list of presumptively lawful regulations, including bans on the possession of firearms by felons and the mentally ill, bans on carrying firearms in sensitive places such as schools and government buildings, laws restricting the commercial sale of firearms, bans on concealed carry of firearms and bans on weapons not typically possessed by law-abiding citizens for lawful purposes, which I think a lot of these things are going to come up to the Supreme Court again and rule differently, in my humble opinion. Uh, many issues remain open and the lower courts have disagreed with one another about some of them, including important questions involving restrictions on carrying weapons in public. So now I would like to go back to the U S constitution. And I want to read something for you because this is people don't really read 
the U.S. Constitution, which is in and of itself annoying. When I hear people talk about the Constitution and never mention to the text, for me, I have another channel. It's a Bible channel where I go over my daily Bible study. But for me, it's the same as people who have a critique about a Bible doctrine while never actually mentioning what the Bible actually says. It's supremely annoying to me. Okay, I'm going to read this first so you will understand a few things before we even get to reading the Second Amendment. This is very important. Congress of the United States begun and held at the city of New York on Wednesday, the 4th of March, 1789. The conventions of a number of states having at time of their adopting the Constitution expressed a desire in order to prevent misconstruction or abuse of its powers, the further declaratory and restrictive clauses should be added. And as extending the ground of public confidence in the government will best ensure the beneficent ends of its institution, they are telling us they're regulating the government. A lot, of the a lot of people view the Constitution incorrectly. The way they kind of view the Constitution is restrictions on us. No, 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 sir. The Constitution is a restriction on the government. Resolved by the Senate and House of Representatives of the United States of America and Congress assembled two thirds of both House and Houses concerning the following articles be proposed to the legislature of the, uh, the several states as amendments to the U.S. Constitution or the Constitution of the United States, all or any of which articles, when ratified by three fourths of said legislators, to be valid to all intents and purposes as part of the said Constitution. In addition to the amendment of the Constitution of the United States of America proposed by Congress and ratified by the legislatures of the several states pursuant of the fifth article of the original Constitution. OK, now let's get down to the Second Amendment and we're going to read it and we're going to comprehend what it actually means. A well-regulated militia. <clears throat> comma. So we're going to pause there, right? We're breaking that up. Next thought, same sentence, next thought being necessary to the security of a free state. So we have a, we have a thought, a well-regulated militia is something that's necessary to the security of a free state. Okay. So understand that the way this is perceived by most people is actually not correct, right? They think this well-regulated militia has to do with the firearms and it doesn't. A well-regulated militia is necessary to the security of a free state. Pause, right? Comma, pause, same sentence, next subject. They're connected. The right of the people to keep and bear arms, comma, pause, same sentence. Next subject shall not be infringed. 
So because we need a well-regulated militia to make sure that our free states remain secure, the people's rights, the individual people's rights to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. What does, what does this mean? Well, it means several things. It means that the framers were worried about government tyranny. This is not about hunting. And even though self-defense is a byproduct of the recognizing of the right of the people to keep and bear arms, it wasn't the original intent. It is government tyranny. That is literally the reason for this. To make sure that your free state maintained its security. So now what I'm going to do, <coughs> excuse me, getting over this COVID cough, I might have to get something to drink. Okay, I'm back. You didn't see it, but I went to get something to drink. Man, I don't know what came over me. Anyway, I can't remember exactly where I left off, but oh yeah, that's what I was going to do. I was going to look up <clears throat> the definition of infringe just so we're all at an understanding infringe to break as contracts to violate either positively by contravention or negatively by non-fulfillment or neglect of performance this is not something that can be broken the Second Amendment is very clear. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be broken. But it is. And it is constantly. And people don't think it. A lot of people don't think it matters. They think uh, it's irrelevant. People might get hurt, so we need to ban all guns. Here's the problem with that line of thinking. What amendment are you willing to concede? Because if you're willing to concede one and say, well, yeah, we know this is in our the supreme law of our land, but it doesn't really matter. If one of them doesn't matter, then none of them matter. And if none of them matter, God help all of us.